So I want to hear a lot of stories from you, but I want to start out with one of my own, if that's okay. Of course. Okay. I'm all okay. ears. So uh, back, it feels a lifetime ago now, I worked for Shaw TV in Kelowna. And I've actually had the chance to sit down with you twice. Was this at Prospero Place? Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so the first, the first one was 2012 when you were on your press tour for the single, the first single. And then the second time was 2014 when you toured with Brad Paisley through Kelowna. Yep. And now that second show is the one I want to talk to you about because that show was October 4th of 2014. My son was born September 20th of 2014. Now, when he was born, he was born three weeks early and he had to spend time in the NICU. And so before that show for the two weeks or whatever it was before, basically that time was spent for me going to work, going to the hospital, going home late at night to sleep, going to work, going to the hospital, going home to sleep. And for my wife, it was staying at the hospital, going home to sleep, staying at the hospital, going home to sleep. And so the day came of the concert and I had been wanting to see you ever since that 2012 interview and I hadn't had the chance. So I was like, I, I need to see this show. We need to make this happen. And I was lucky enough to get some tickets through the Warner rep. And so my wife and I were, we we're going back and forth because like other than going home to sleep, we hadn't left my son. You know, one of us was always there and going home to sleep was hard enough. So we were like, how are we going to make it work to, you know, go to the show and have a good time and not be thinking about him the entire time. And so in the end, we decided to do it. We saw your set. It was absolutely amazing. We saw, I think, two songs of Brad. And then we had to leave because we had to go back to the hospital for my son's feeding. And he was there for about another month before he got out. And I just wanted to tell you that story because throughout that whole time of, you know, that struggle, that was the one sort of moment of reprieve that my wife and I had by ourselves, not thinking about my son and just having a good time. And it was absolutely amazing. And so I'll always sort of have that connection with you. And so it's great. Well, what a, what a way to kick things off, buddy. Like, seriously, I, I'm very honored to have played a positive role in, in a very, very important time uh, in, in your life, yours and your whole family. And uh, I want to ask if you don't mind, if you don't mind me asking, yeah. so that's several years now. So, so tell me about, tell me about your son. Tell me how he's doing now. He is doing great. He is a fully active six and a half year old. It was six and a half years ago. And he is just, yeah, he's a ball of energy. Like he is a sports guy. He loves oh, every type of sport. He can't sit still. He just loves it. So yeah, he is a happy, healthy boy. Thank you for asking. You know, I, I think a lot about the families and in the charity work that I've been able to do, especially in Edmonton at the Stollery Children's Hospital and a bunch of these other different places that we've either raised money or I've come in to sing and perform. Um, you know, I really hats off go to the dedication of the of the staff, like the doctors and the nurses, For but sure. also the true love and dedication of the parents who will stop at nothing to see their kid get through their sickness or get through their situation and to come up better on the other side. I feel very lucky as a dad that I've never been through that, 
with my kids, but I have so much empathy for you, Brendan, and, and for your whole family. But the real amazing silver lining in all of this is that you've got a ball of energy, six and a half year old sports playing son, who you probably are going to have to sprinkle a little country music into his diet too. Well, Don't forget that. I'm, I'm telling you, the first time you come through Kelowna with a show, me and him are going to be in the front row. Believe me. Okay. Ah, you know what? I'll do you one better. Okay. You'll be at the front row, but also come backstage and, uh, and, and come, come for a visit first. You're going to need a beer and I'll probably get your son like an apple juice or something like that. <laughs> that would be amazing. I will. I'll hold you to that. Well, Hey, I mean, this is recorded. So it I is. Mean, when I announced like, Hey, Kelowna, I'm coming to see, uh, make sure you play this clip on Instagram or Twitter and tag me in it. It's kind of like Willy Wonka's golden ticket. And I'll be like, <laughs> yep, here's my email. Uh, tickets will be in your inbox right away. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, sir. I appreciate that. And yeah, thank you so much for joining me. And now that we've got my story out of the way, let's talk about yours. I wanted to start at the age of five. Is that your first public performance? Well, playing that song sold at the Granny County auction was my first public performance playing John Michael Montgomery's hit. And I, I did it kind of in back-to-back weekends, basically. So I did it at my school talent show and okay. um, it was really cool to do that. And I, I don't remember having any fear standing up on stage, singing that song. Um, but also my grandpa Kissel, it was his 65th birthday and we threw a surprise party for him and, or my family did. Of course, I'm, I'm a, I'm a five or six year old. I, I don't <laughs> yeah. know anything. I just put on my little blue jeans and, and my cowboy boots and I went to the party. So I brought my little guitar and I remember standing on a banquet table. And the reason why I remember this, cause there's so many pictures about it. My, my cousins and my aunties and uncles talk about it all the time. <laughs> and I stood on that table and it's like, you know, someone clinks your glass to give a toast. Yep. I somehow got everyone's attention and I sang <laughs> happy birthday to my grandpa. And then I sang sold at the Granny County auction. And I said, Hey, pretty little, would you give me a sign? I gave anything you make your mind on mine. And I sang it for everybody. And uh, my folks are like, okay, well, I guess this kid's going to be a little entertainer. <laughs> so even from then, and then at six, you get your first guitar from your grandma out of the Sears catalog. At that point, do you remember was that guitar an omen of what was to come for you? Like, did you know at that point, I love country music, I want to do it? Or was the guitar just a cool thing to pick around on when you first got it at six? Uh, you know what? I didn't know at the time that it, it was going to turn into this. Um, and in fact, I didn't even like it. I didn't even like it at the time. It was Christmas and I wanted a Lego castle. That's what ah. I asked Santa Claus for. That's what I asked my family for. So when I woke up on Christmas morning, I, I mean, I, I, I so regret how spoiled I was because I realized that disappointment that I, I, I mean, I wish I didn't have that disappointment, but I, I saw that guitar and I was like, yeah, well, this, what, what am I supposed to do with this? I opened it up though. And I strummed it over the course of the Christmas holidays. I sat on the counter by our radio and I would try to learn shapes where I could play, put my fingers to make a, what was called a chord, which I'd never heard of before. So even to this day, I play very odd shaped chords because that's how I learned when I was six. Oh, okay. And one of the first songs I remember learning was walk the line by Johnny cash. Cause it was so easy, 
Bum 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 bum. And so I'm thinking, okay, this is actually pretty cool. And as I learned walk the line, and like within the two minutes it was on the radio, my parents looked at me like, holy, what's with this kid? Like he just got this guitar three days ago and already he's playing Walk the Line by Johnny Cash. I I I guess I just loved it. You know, I didn't think I was going to, I didn't like it at first, but I'm grateful I have it now. And I saw at one point you mentioned that back in the day you were wanting to be a gunslinger, sort of like Brad Paisley, you know, playing your own guitar solos and that sort of thing, but that sort of faded away. So how long did it take you for that feeling to fade away and and not want to be that gunslinger? It was when I first moved to Nashville. I was, I was going to be a guitar player and singer. I wanted to be like Brad. I wanted to play, play, play and sing and entertain. And then I went to Nashville and I realized, oh my God, I am not cut out for this. Like literally these guys are so amazing. So as an artist and a songwriter, I really put the guitar on the back burner, allowed it to be a support system instead of being a feature of who I am and what I do. So I focused a lot more on entertaining and doubled down my efforts on the performance aspect as opposed to the guitar aspect, because I realized I would probably have to live 10 lifetimes to become one-tenth as good as Brad Paisley. <laughs> right. And so back when you were 12 and you're recording your first album, were you the same entertainer you are today or were you more focused on guitar and entertaining at the same time. So it kind of took away from that entertainment that you provide now. I, you know what, I, I've watched some footage of me as a little kid and I just think that I always love to perform. So I love to pick, I love to be a little guitar picker and stuff like that, but <clears throat> I always wanted to joke around and take my audiences on a journey. So of course, as at the time when I'm 12 years old, I don't realize that's what I'm doing. I just thought that, you know, I'm up on a stage. I wanted to make people laugh and I wanted to sing and get people out of their chairs and have a good time. That's what I wanted to do. But now I look back and I realize that was pretty unique for a kid who was 12 and 13, be able to command an audience of a hundred people or 200 people, 300 people, 400 people, a thousand people, and be able to take them on a journey like that. That was very, very special. So no, I didn't realize I was an entertainer then. But I'm very, very proud that I was learning the craft and the art of entertaining. And throughout those years, 2002 till about 2008, 2009, when you're recording your own albums, at that point, were you doing it for fun or were you doing it then as a career and this is what I want to do? Well, it had become a career. And I didn't realize it was a career. I didn't really know in my early teens and preteens that it could be um, an actual source of income. But every record, what it would do is it would fund the next project or the next record. It's all right. I ever wanted to do once it really started to gain momentum. So let's talk about shows for a second. I would play a show in Bonneville, Alberta, one of the home communities. And then someone from Cold Lake, Alberta would see me and say, hey, why don't you come and play over here? And then someone from you know, Red Deer, Alberta would be in Cold Lake and say, well, why don't you come play my customer appreciation for my Ford dealer? So <laughs> I'd go and I'd play there. 
And then someone from there would say, well, why don't you come and do our pancake breakfast at the Calgary Stampede? Before you know it, well, this big rich guy from Kelowna says, well, I own such and such company. Why don't you play my staff appreciation Christmas party? What's your rate? And my mom and dad are like, great. What do you mean? Like, we've been playing for free for three years. Like, well, I'll tell you what, I'll give you 500 bucks. Oh, my God. And I'll pay for your flight. Oh, my God. <laughs> so then we fly to Kelowna and I'd get paid 500 bucks. I'd entertain for a half an hour. And now I'm 14 years old and I just make $500 for half an hour. So my dad would put it in perspective because my dad was a cattle rancher. He says, do you realize you got paid $500 to sing for 30 minutes? I'm like, yeah, that's pretty crazy. He says, that means your rate is $1,000 an hour. And so I, <laughs> but of course I'm 13 or 14. I don't realize this, but one thing led to another. And then you're making records, Brendan. So now the albums that I was making was all cover songs. And these cover songs, of course, you pay the royalties to the artists, to the songwriters. But I would, I just thought it was normal. I, my first album, I think I sold 10,000 copies. Okay, so 10,000 copies at $10 a piece. Okay, well, you can do the math. <laughs> yeah, it's my pretty folks good. are like, hold it. What is this? So they, you know, like it was a real business, it was a real thing. And, <clears throat> I mean, be before I, I knew it, I, I was just starting to travel all across Western Canada and it really did become a business where I had real management, a real manager, a real accountant hand handling the finances. And I was thinking strategically as a 16 year old, 17, especially 18 year old about what my next moves were going to be and how I was going to employ this team and how I was going to do all of these things. It was an amazing uh, entrepreneurial journey that so much of it happened by complete accident. And at that point, you're 16 to 18. Were you overwhelmed or have you always had that business drive and always had that confidence in that side of things? There's a 4-H motto that a lot of kids in 4-H live by. You have to learn to do by doing. So there were moments where I was overwhelmed based on you know some of the pressure or scheduling conflicts or missing out on normal activities that normal teenagers would go through every Saturday night. I was at a gig, whereas all my buddies were at a party trying to make out with girls. And so for me, I'm like, okay, you know what? This is my choice. I love my path. I wouldn't have it any other way. So I wasn't overwhelmed. Um, I was just learning to do by doing it. I'm just grateful I had those lessons. So that way, when I signed my record deal at like 22 years old, <laughs> I was able to really have a, a very, very firm grasp on the business. And talk about going into that deal with Warner and what your expectations were and the day that you spent with, who was it, Steve King, the president? Yeah, Steve Warner? Kane. Yeah. Kane. Sorry. Yeah. So talk about that experience. And were you ready for that? Okay. This is a huge, huge story um, that, that I think, however you, however you present this conversation, it's, it's, it's a pretty crazy one. So I'll, if you don't mind, do you want me to give you the, the full meal? Yeah, deal for sure. Deal? Yeah. <clears throat> it's September, 2012. Um, it's the Canadian country music awards in Saskatoon. I just played a couple of really special industry shows um, at the CCMAs and the big Friday night dinner um, or the big uh, Friday night. We had a big dinner for EMI records, Dean oh, okay. Cameron, uh, Paul Shaver, Tony Tarleton, 
And we had EMI records. And my manager and I took them to the nicest restaurant in Saskatoon. We had a beautiful dinner for their 12 staff. And I didn't, I barely had any money. And I think I spent, I had maybe a thousand bucks in my account because I had been investing so much money into myself and everything like that. And over the years, just anyways, I know I were talking about, you know, making some money as a kid, but yeah. over the years you go through the ups and the downs. And right. I've been living in Nashville and not performing as much, but I'm here chasing after a record deal and EMI records is interested. So we take them for this dinner and the dinner was like 1200 bucks, like for all 12 people with wine <laughs> and dessert and everything. Wow. But I got out my guitar I played about two, three songs. I ended up playing six, seven songs. Then I ended up playing about 10, 12 songs. All these new songs I'd written, like started with a song and I just written this song called three, two, one. And I just written this song called Razor glass and tough people do and playing all these songs. Dean Cameron president says, you know what kid, we love you. This is amazing. We're going to sign you. And we lost it. Me, my wife, Cecilia and my manager, I cried tears of joy. It was like making it to the NHL. Right. He said, we're going to fly you to Toronto in October. And um, right after Thanksgiving, we're going to make it official. We'll get you in. You can meet the entire staff, play some songs and uh, we'll make it official. We'll get the photographer in. You can sign the record deal and you can post it on your Twitter and Facebook and, and we'll get after it. I mean, this is EMI records. The Beatles were on EMI. In Canada, Johnny Reed is on EMI. Eric Church in Nashville and Keith Urban are on EMI. Like, oh my God. Right. We decide we're going to fly to Toronto early. Instead of just the Tuesday after the Thanksgiving Monday, we're going to fly early. Let's fly on Friday. I've never been to Toronto. I've barely been on an airplane. Let's, let's, let's go to Toronto. So my wife and I, we go with my manager. And on Saturday of Thanksgiving, Dean Cameron, president calls. He said, I don't know how to tell you this, but over the weekend, we heard that this might've happened, but it's happening way faster than we thought. Universal Music has bought out EMI Records. Oh. And we, um, I'm no longer the president. And so I can't authorize a signing. Wow. Talk about a, a shot in the gut. So we cried tears of happiness a month earlier at the CCMAs. And now I'm crying real tears here. This is like, like it's done. Right. Like what? We're already in Toronto. I, I already told my family. I already told my friends. I already told my band, like saddle up boys. It's the big times now. So Dean Cameron said, the only, and my manager, Luis, is there anything you can do? Like, like, can you put in a good word for us at Universal? He says, yeah, absolutely. And like, we're here. And Dean Cameron says, look, the only thing I can think of is I've got this, you know, the president of Warner, his name is Steve Kane. And uh, Steve and I've worked together for 15 years is a very, very good friend, but Warner doesn't do country. They haven't done country in 20 years, but you know what? I feel bad. I'll, I'll make a meeting with Steve tomorrow or on Tuesday. And so I marched into the Warner music office in Toronto with nothing to lose. And Steve Kane had half an hour. He and his boardroom had a half an hour. 
Well, a half an hour, I did three songs and talked. They canceled like they're three o'clock. So I sang three more songs. Then we went for a couple cocktails, which turned into dinner, which turned into late night cocktails, which then on Wednesday morning, he copy and pasted the deal I had with EMI really? word for word. He saved all that time on legal. And all <laughs> he did was change the logo at the top from EMI to Warner. And I signed a deal on Wednesday with Warner Music. And I've been with them for eight years. Oh, man. The emotional ups and downs of one month, hey? Isn't I mean, it crazy? The weekend. <laughs> oh, yeah. I just... So it just goes to show I was exactly where I, I'm exactly where I'm meant to be. And now after three gold albums heading into 2020, you have now or never it's released on January 1st, 2020 ready and raring to go. What was the thought with that album? Well, the title said it all in terms of my headspace and exactly what I was going through in the moment. There were a lot of risky song choices. It was an extremely diverse record. We had stripped down acoustic um, coffee with her. We had bluegrass hummingbird. We had a pop banger in a platinum single and she drives me crazy. And then some straight ahead fun country, like a few good stories, all following in the footsteps of this massive song for us in Drink About Me. It was a very eclectic record called Now or Never because I was either going to plant this flag in the ground saying, I'm a very diverse artist. I don't belong in a box. I can do anything. And if I'm going to do that, well, the time is now or never. So I was very proud with the early success that record had. And now a year, over a year later, people are still talking about that record um, and all of those songs. Yeah, because it hasn't been that long. And was the thought back then before COVID hit to have a longer cycle with it? Well, originally, actually, I, I was excited about a brief album cycle. I just wanted it to be a year. And I made a commitment that every three years, I was going to do a new record and have new music out. Okay. Um, you know, for, for every year for three years, of course, the pandemic I mean, everybody's plans went right out the window. Yeah. So Drink About Me, um, She Drives Me Crazy and A Few Good Stories uh, did really well for us in their own ways. Mm -hmm. um, but it also was a record that very quickly, um, very quickly rose to the very top. But for me, in my own spiritual and emotional journey, I was thinking more about the true meaning of life and finding or writing songs that had more meat on the bone. That was very important to me. So in doing that, I had already started writing a lot of the songs or creating a system for what is life in the heart of the pandemic. So I was, I wanted to pivot off of the now or never cycle and get to this new music quickly. Right. And so with make a life, not a living, was that in May? That Stephen Lee Olson sent that to you, May twenty. Yeah, he sent it. He sent it on my thirtieth birthday. Okay. Yeah, on May twenty seventh, twenty twenty. Send me a text. Happy birthday, big boy. Here's um, here's a song I think you're gonna love. If anybody's gonna believe in these lyrics, it's gonna be you. And I, I'm I'm out on the back forty, out on my cattle ranch with my kids on on uh, on the quads, and I hear this song. 
And it literally talks about my current life right now. And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? This is amazing. So I, I lost it. And I told him immediately that I was going to record that song. And throughout your career, have you had a song that's been given to you hit that hard with you? You know what? I, you know what? I'll, I'll say this. No, never before has a song resonated with, with me so personally. And I made a, a very pu- uh, a proclamation that I was going to record that song and it was going to be my first single and I was going to base my entire new record around it. it that's, that's a lot of promises. And whatever the saying is, you know, don't, don't, don't let your mouth write a check that you can't, you know, whatever you can't catch, whatever the saying is. Yeah. So I made that, that, that public statement to Stephen Lee Olson. And then I had to go tell my record label, I found the song. I'm going in to record it right away. It's going on the record. It's going to be the first single. Well, they're like, hold it, Brett. You got to run it past this. You got to, we got to hear it. We got to talk to management. You got to talk to your producer. But I was so adamant that that was the song that I'm really grateful that my team rallied behind it the same way that I did. The only other time I really felt that strong about a song was when I heard Drink About Me. Um, When I first saw Matt Rogers, who wrote that song, perform that at the Bluebird, he was my special guest as I played the Bluebird. And Matt sat beside me and I asked him point blank. I said, play me a song that you've written that you cannot believe hasn't been cut yet oh, okay. because he's written number ones for Tim McGraw and Florida Georgia line and Brett Eldridge and stuff. And, and he said, well, here's, here's this one. And he played it and a sold out bluebird cafe lost their mind. So again, I said on the microphone, Matt, if you let me record that song, I promise you it'll be a single. And it ended up being my first single and look at it, it's, it's nominated for a Juno now. So in May, you get that song. Had you already started to think about that theme for an album and start writing yourself? Or did that really kick it into gear in your mind and having that theme on the record? It really kicked it into gear for me. I, I was in that headspace, but I didn't know how to articulate it. I didn't know how to craft any of these messages, but this was, this was like a chapter of a book that came out of nowhere. And I realized it was the very first chapter. So now awesome. I've got something I can really build upon this now. And so did that then make it easier or more difficult to write the songs that you were a part of and pick the other songs? Well, for me, and I I think I'm much different than a lot of other artists or writers. Songwriting is very difficult for me. Um, I get in my own head. I, I don't know. It just, I don't think I'm that good at it. And so the process is always difficult. However, with that all being said, I was very happy to have this as a song that I could look, um, that I could look to, and I could really focus a lot of time, uh, attention and energy on knowing that this was the bar that's been set and we need to find or write other songs that are going to fit and support this one track. You have, I believe, five writing credits on the album. I think so. Yeah. And you wrote with different people for each of them. So what does that mean for you in not just sticking with one person and writing with one person the whole time, but switching it up and going with different writers? 
Uh, you know what? All, all of my albums have been diverse in the sense that I've written with a number of, of different people. Um, I like doing that, Brendan, because I love to collaborate. I love the spirit of collaboration. I love the opportunity to take different ideas to different people. So, for example, Jesse Fraser is a really good friend of mine. And Jesse um, produces Thomas Rhett. Jesse also has written 18 number ones of which probably 14 of those have been with Thomas. <laughs> so I know that Thomas is a family man. I know that Thomas, like I, I know quite a few things about him, even though we barely spent time together. All that being said, he, Jesse, um, I brought this idea to him called die to go home. And I only wanted to write that with him and write with him because he's a friend. He's able to take a very personal topic and make it mainstream. So that was a wonderful collaboration. Um, and he was the right man for the job. And we have my favorite song I've ever written because of it. So collaborating with different people is a very important uh, thing for me to do. Um, and yeah, so I, I intend to probably keep that up in the future. Right. And you mentioned the last album was very diverse. This one is very much down to your country roots. So which is more difficult to release? It's a great question. I think that every record has life. Every song has life. And I'm just doing the best that I possibly can during this era and during this time. What is life? The record out now is my most important record to date because it goes around a central theme that I believe in. These 14 tracks um, and these 10 songs are me to a T. Not saying that there's something that isn't genuine or authentic in all of my previous records or the Now or Never project, but with diversity, there's a lot of other things that come into play like What's going to sound great for the live show? Like she drives me crazy or all these different thought processes are sometimes playing a character. Whereas there's no fooling around with what is life. This mm -hmm. is me. This is what I'm going through. This is what a lot of Canadians are going through right now. So it's a deeply personal and uh, a big, big record based on self-reflection. From this day forward and kindness are the last two songs on the record. And there, they just seem a lot almost grittier, like within your voice, a lot more raw than a lot of your other stuff. So is that intentional within those songs? Well, very much so. I think every song, uh, you need to do what's best for the song. And so if I'm going to sing a song like From This Day Forward, uh, which is an ode to my beautiful wife, it's kind of a re, I'm, I'm, I'm reciting new vows to her as we're about to experience 10 years of marriage this year. And so <clears throat> I couldn't just go out and just sing this thing. I couldn't just, you know, warm up my voice and, and sing it with no emotion and just follow the notes. I had to truly even turn the lights off in the studio, have all this darkness. So there's no distraction and think about all these incredible memories with her that, you know, is written in the song and all of these incredible moments and bring out that emotion, that grit, that raw, that real feeling. And then Kindness was a song that I wrote after the record was already done. Album is done, it's given to Apple Music, Spotify, YouTube, everybody has it, photos are done, 
record's done. There you go. And then I wrote this song via text message with Matt Rogers, who wrote Drink About Me, my friend Matt. And I said, we were texting back and forth and maybe venting about what's going on in the world. And I said, could you imagine if kindness was contagious? Like how great this world would be? And then he wrote back, if kindness was contagious and no one could explain it, hate would be a four-letter word nobody used. And I wrote, different isn't dangerous. Yeah. And hands were meant for shaking and hearts were meant for making love. This I promise you. He said, you know, if this world, so we were texting the song. That's how we wrote it. <laughs> we didn't write it on Zoom. We didn't write it face to face. We wrote it by a text. Then I sat down with my guitar, added melody to it. And it's done. And I realized this song needs to go on the record. Well, I can't get the band back together. I can't book studio time. Apple Music is ready for my launch here in the coming weeks. So it had to go on the record as is, literally as it sits on my voice note right now in, on my iPhone. Are you a person, like you say in your writing, you might deal with some self-doubt, but when you're ready to release an album, what is the feeling within you? Is it a nervous energy or do you always have a really positive energy within you when you're getting set to release an album? Well, I'm getting less and less nerves. I think as I age or as I do more, more things within the business, but they're the still the, the, the biggest thing that I am feeling, especially the night before the album comes out is nerves. Nerves because you hope that all of this time, this effort, um, this heart, this soul, the blood, the sweat, the tears, and the money that you put into this project to just give it out and put it out into the world, you hope is going to get critical acclaim. It's going to get special, uh, you know, special response and your fan base is going to love it. And they did. So far, they've loved it. I'm very <laughs> grateful. And moving forward, man, you got a lot of stuff going on. You got some vodka going on. You got some uh, TV shows going on. You have your music. What else do you got on the back burner? There's not enough hours in the day, it feels. Yeah, there, there ain't many hours, that's for sure. I mean, my favorite thing to do is be a dad and also be a husband to Cecilia. So that is a giant priority for me. It's the number one priority. And then with all the spare time that I do or don't have, however you, <laughs> however you, you know, you want to say it, my music career, even in a very awkward and dark time in this pandemic, um, has been going really well. And I'm very proud of our recent success and the entire work ethic of my team. And then you've got our vodka company, Deuce Vodka. That's just crushing it in Alberta and Saskatchewan. We have so many big ideas and plans. We sponsored Team Canada and Brendan Botcher, who just won the Briar in curling. Um, we're so proud of that partnership. Um, we intend to do more partnership with, an, you know, with maybe an NHL team. I, I, I wonder if you can guess which one I'm, I'm considering. <laughs> the Flames, uh, see, right? The fl it's got to be the, the Flames or the Leafs. It's got to be. Yeah, yeah, of course, <laughs> of course. So I'm really excited about the future for our vodka company. Uh, potentially new flavors that will come out, how many people of age who are drinking and, and, and enjoy this and have kind of made it a staple in their home or on their Friday nights. And then uh, Backwoods Backstage is this hunting, outdoor, fishing uh, television series. That was a mini series that I thought would just be four or five episodes. And I probably put it on my YouTube channel and that's that. 
Well, Sportsman Channel picked it up and they're, you know, uh, playing these episodes across Canada and uh, across the USA. Like, it's unbelievable. Oh, man, it's crazy how busy you are. And you talk about sort of the toll that 2020 has taken. But with all that you have going on, has it been a good distraction? Have you been able to make it through without sort of falling too far into maybe the the uh, despair that many have fallen into? You know, I'll, pu- I'll put it to you this way. I still feel like I'm walking on a very, very razor thin line and I could fall this way into despair or fall this way into health, wealth, and wellness. Um, to a degree, it's, it's a mindset too. We all are walking on that thin line and I've been hanging on by a thread for, for months and it's been very, very difficult. So I feel like I'm just getting out of, of the darkness. I'm just getting out of this blue state that I was in. Um, and I'm really looking for the silver linings now and understanding that so much of what's going on is beyond my control. And so much of what's going on is something that I can't do much about. So all I can control is what I can control. So just focus on that. Look for the silver lining. Stay positive. Be happy. Take good stock of the things that you've got. Focus on your music. Focus on your family. Understand that time is a non-renewable resource. So we can't make more of it. So enjoy the time that you have. Maybe this is a great lesson for all of us to learn from the university to slow down and cherish our relationships when the world opens back up, which I wish it was tomorrow. You know what? Take it in stride. Understand what's going to happen. I just, I'm, I'm grateful now that I've been able to learn a lot of lessons here, even though these were a lot of lessons. I didn't want to have to learn the hard way, but I learned the hard way. So with this album, Hopefully things will open up here in the next few months. So are you looking to hold on to this till you are able to tour and have an album cycle? Or are you already looking sort of towards the next next project and maybe having that available for when the world is opening up more? It's a good question, but I got to be honest, I really don't know. There's so much uncertainty and I have so many plans, so many amazing plans for things I'm going to do, new records I might write, new things I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be doing, but I need to practice what I'm preaching and be very conscious to stay present and be in the moment and enjoy this first couple of days of early success for this record and maybe just ride this wave a little bit longer. Of course, I'm a forward thinker. I'm a racehorse who just wants to go out and run. But you know what? It's good to stop and smell the roses. And the roses are pretty sweet right now. So I'm just going to enjoy this time for however long it lasts. Awesome. Well, the album, What Is Life, available now, wherever you get your music. I think we're coming up in an hour, so I don't want to keep you too much longer and have you race into your next thing. So I just want to thank you for taking so much time and for humoring me and for just telling us your story. It's awesome. No, the pleasure's all mine, Brandon. All the best to you and your family, and especially your son. And I, I, I was serious. When I do get a chance to play the big show in Kelowna again, <clears throat> you will be front row. You're going to enjoy it. You're going to have your son on your shoulders, having the best time. And uh, we'll probably bring you backstage for a cocktail too. That sounds awesome. I'll hold you to it. Thank you so much. Okay, dude. See you later. Okay, we'll talk to you again soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.